August 4th. And now, as we begin our reading in the New Testament here today, we'll begin a new book, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. That will be our text. Here's a little background on the book of 1 Corinthians. Corinth, the capital of Achaia, was perhaps the richest and most important city in Greece. It was also the most corrupt. A center for trade, Corinth was invaded by all kinds of religions and philosophies. The Apostle Paul founded the Corinthian church during his second missionary journey and ministered there a year and a half. Now, after he left, serious problems developed in the church, and Paul wrote the members a stern letter that was not successful. He heard that the church was divided, and then a delegation from the church arrived in Ephesus with a letter asking Paul's help regarding specific questions. 1 Corinthians, this book in the Bible, was his response. Paul dealt with sin in the church, and then he answered the questions they asked. He discussed marriage, idolatry, public worship, spiritual gifts, the resurrection, and the special offering he was taking for the Jews. And here in the very first chapter, we'll see that even though believers are all one in Christ Jesus, the local church often suffers from division. Why? For one thing, we forget the calling we have in Christ. It is only by God's grace that we have been called. And this fact should humble us and encourage us to love one another. Another factor is our tendency to follow human leaders and develop kind of a fan club mentality. Christ died for us and lives to bless us, and He must have the preeminence. A third factor is dependence on human wisdom and philosophies, of which there were many in Corinth. The world's wisdom had crept into the church, and it did not mix with the wisdom of God. Various theologies are the attempts of scholars to interpret the Word of God, but they are not the Word. Never allow them to be a cause of division. Well, with that, let's begin our reading here today in the New Testament. August 4th, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. We are writing to the church of God in Corinth. You who have been called by God to be His own holy people, He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as He did all Christians everywhere, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and theirs. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you His grace and peace. I can never stop thanking God for all the generous gifts He has given you, Now that you belong to Christ Jesus, He has enriched your church with the gifts of eloquence and every kind of knowledge. This shows that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong right up to the end, and He will keep you free from all blame on the great day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will surely do this for you, for He always does just what He says, and He is the one who invited you into this wonderful friendship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, dear brothers and sisters, I appeal to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to stop arguing among yourselves. Let there be real harmony, so there won't be divisions in the church. I plead with you to be of one mind, 
united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your arguments, dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Can Christ be divided into pieces? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For now no one can say, They were baptized in my name. Oh, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speeches and high-sounding ideas, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. When my wife's grandmother was just starting her family life, she planted a seed in the ground. It was the seed of a peony bush, uh, her favorite bush. And that bush grew up, and she took care of it for many, many decades until she couldn't take care of it any longer. When she got to the point where she couldn't take care of it any longer, she, she uprooted the bush and handed it off to my wife's mother, who then planted it in the ground at her home and took care of it for many more decades and actually uprooted it eight different times and moved it with her eight different times to eight different homes and took care of it very well until she handed it off to my wife when we got married. And so we took this very important bush and we planted it in a prominent location in our front yard so that everybody could see this precious heirloom. A number of years ago, we were having our yard landscaped by some professional landscapers. And one Sunday morning, we were coming home from church and we saw that one of the landscapers was already working in the yard. He was using his big machinery, the bulldozers and the bobcats, to clear the yard and level it and get it ready for the grass seed that was going to be coming in. And as we pulled into the driveway, my wife Karen, she noticed something. The peony bush was gone. The landscaper had bulldozed over it and picked it up with his bobcat and thinking that it was a weed just tossed it into the back of the dump truck. Karen of course knew that it wasn't just a weed and so you know what she did? She went to the garage, she grabbed a shovel and while still in her Sunday dress and her heels she jumped into the dump truck and she started digging for the peony bush. She found a few of its remains just a few feet down but it, would, it looked like just a bunch of busted roots. The, the peony bush it was, it was gone. A couple of months later they started building a home right next door to ours, and it turned out it probably wasn't the best location to plant a peony bush that was so important because their bobcats and bulldozers were just going over that same area where that bush had been, and it would have been destroyed anyway. And um, they were basically using the peony's grave as their own personal dragway. A couple of months after that, my wife was talking on the phone with her sister, talking about the peony bush. These things are hard to get over. But she looked out the window and looked at the place where the peony bush had been, and do you know what she saw coming up out of the ground? Some green leaves. And do you know what they were coming from? From the seed of the peony bush that was still in the ground. All those bulldozers weren't powerful enough to destroy the seed. A seed is a very powerful thing, which is why the Word of God compares our faith to a seed. In 1 Peter it says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, which lives forever. Simply put, God's word has great power in your life when it is planted within you. It, it changes you. It strengthens you to produce the Holy Spirit's precious and valuable fruit when it puts its roots deep down inside of you. And do you know how hard you need to work in order to make that wonderful growth happen? 
Well, how hard does the soil need to work in order to make the seed grow? The answer is, it doesn't. Earlier this week, we read from Mark chapter 4, where Jesus said, Night and day, whether the farmer sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, all by itself. Don't burden your heart with unrealistic expectations. Great Christian growth is accomplished not by us working harder and harder to love Jesus or prove that we belong to him. Great Christian growth is accomplished by spending more time resting in God's word, soaking in his wonderful promises, and trusting that the seed that he planted inside you really is as powerful as he says it is. Resting in God's word sounds really easy, but in reality it's boy, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult habit to get into. Um, I found that if I don't spend my time in the morning with the Word of God, it's, it's unlikely to happen throughout the day, and it took me years to get into that habit. Uh, but it's a, it's a good habit, and I find that there's a big difference when I don't start my day in that way. Are there habits of resting in the Word of God, spending time in the Word, soaking in His wonderful promises that have worked really, really well for you that you'd be willing to share with, with this community of faith? Or any resources that you use that have been really beneficial at, in helping your faith grow? Let's help each other out so that more and more we can see the powerful seed of the Word of God working in all of our lives. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Hey, this is Dexter Hopkins phasing up from first to second this week. To all my brothers down there on the farm, hey, just keep your head up. Keep going one day at a time. Keep focusing on God and everything else will line up just the way it's supposed to. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Hey, brothers. This is Bob phasing up from phase three to phase four, getting ready to head down to Vinton County in a week to start coordinating. I just want to give a little shout out to everyone in the ministry, let you all know that every step of this way you're loved and you're uh, cared for, not only by God, but everyone around you. So always make sure you're there for the person next to you and they'll be there for you. Do everything with love, humility, and joy, and happiness, and kindness, and uh, God's favor will be upon you. Everything you do should be for your brother. And uh, more importantly, you should do it for God. I'll never forget that. I love you all and hope you all have a great time. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. What makes you afraid? Darkness? But the Lord is your light. Danger? He is also your salvation. Deficiency? Well, he is your strength. Then why be afraid? See what he does for you. Let your confidence and faith in him grow as you interact with the Lord and witness his faithfulness to you. See, God saves you. Because he was not a priest, David could not actually go into the tabernacle. But he could still rest in the Lord and trust him as his refuge. The New Testament equivalent for this is Abide in me, because in him is perfect safety. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord protects me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to destroy me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will know no fear. Even if they attack me, I remain confident. 
The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. For He will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in His sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At His tabernacle I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Proverbs 20, verses 20 and 21 If you curse your father or mother, the lamp of your life will be snuffed out. An inheritance obtained early in life is not a blessing in the end.